question today is, are we living as if God is in control of every aspect of our lives? Are we living as if God is in control of every little detail? I know we say it, we know it, that God is in control ultimately, but do we really, really live that way? And does the world see us living that way, or they do? Do they see us living in their lives? And so Paul is here today talking to the church, to the church in Philippi, letting them know life is not always going to be easy. But in spite of the difficulty that you face, understand this, that God is in control. And remember where he's writing this letter from, from prison. He's writing this letter from prison to the church in Philippi. In fact, he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, in another letter he wrote to Timothy, he says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So you can be guaranteed of having persecution in your life. If you strive to live a life that is godly, that is honoring, that is one that is set apart for what God wants us to, how he wants us to live, and how he wants us to speak and think and act, we will undergo persecution in one way, shape, or form. Now, that's not always fun, is it? That's not something we look forward to doing. None of us would say, I'm desiring to be persecuted. We all want to live lives kind of out of the radar, kind of by ourselves, so nobody else bothers us. But consider the beginnings of this church, the church in Philippi. If you uh, don't have to turn there right now, but go back later on, look in Acts chapter 16, and look at the beginnings of it there uh, at, at uh, range. This church occupation of that area. Uh, the people there had to honor and lift up the, the Roman emperor and to worship him. If they, couldn't, if they didn't go and place their incense in the altars of the emperor along the way, they could not do business. They were persecuted by, by, through commerce. They're persecuted by their neighbors. Say, so who are you people? Why are you not succumbing to what our culture demands how you should live? That's kind of what our culture is telling us today too, isn't it? The culture believes this about life. The culture believes one way about how we should live, how we should think, and yet we look in God's Word and we're told something very different. Just because we're going through difficulties does not mean we are outside of God's will. If we believed that, we would have never stayed on the mission field for 20 years. We would have never stayed over there because we went through difficulties on a regular basis. As you guys we wouldn't stay six months doing what we're doing. He was being the witness and the example in all the areas he went to, just as faithful as God had commanded him to be, and yet here he was stoned, shipwrecked, put in prison, ostracized, cast out, beaten, punched, treated miserably, horribly. And yet he was right in the middle of where God placed him. Acts chapter 16, we see Paul and Silas in prison for their faith, for proclaiming the truth of the gospel, in prison. And what do they turn to? What is it they do? They eat their beans and rice and just say, well, I guess this isn't what God planned for us, is it? That's not what they did. You look in Acts chapter 16, and you see their response to being in prison was one of worship. The response to being in prison was one of looking to see how is God in control of the situation and trusting that he was in control and speaking as if he was in control. So that the guards, the prisoners, and all those that were in earshot heard their voices, heard them singing, heard them lifting up praises to God and saying, those guys are wacky. How long do I have to be here? 
maybe cursing the guards, cursing the end. They're ready to take their lives. And Paul says, stop! They're all still here. None of us have left. Because if one, S, one, one prisoner had escaped, the guard's life would have been forfeit. And as a result of their faithfulness and staying there in that prison, that guards, the guard became a believer and his whole family became believers as well. See, they remained focused on the fact that God was still in control even when those circumstances seemed to not dictate that. They understood that God was still in control. So here we are 10 years later from that event, and Paul is now writing from the church in Rome, from his, ha- his house arrest in Rome. He's writing to this church who has now sent him an offering. They sent him a gift and said, Paul, we, we are, we've heard about your struggles. We've heard that you are in, in prison again. You're under house arrest. Let us send an offering unto you so that you can have some of your needs taken care of. The church now is thriving in Philippi. They have a community who looks out for one another. And even as far as Rome and looking for Paul, was wanting to communicate to this church as he writes back to them, thanking them for their gift, sending back one of his workers to communicate with them his desire and his will, just to encourage them, say, stand strong, keep doing what you're doing. Let me teach you something about how to continue pressing on while you're undergoing all this persecution. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. How do we live as if God is in control, when all around us seems to say the opposite. Firstly, verses 3 through 11, follow along with me here in in chapter 1 of Philippians. Paul writes, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance for you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to be feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense of the confirmation of the gospel. How I yearn for you with all my the affection of Christ Jesus. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul opens up his letter with them, asking for God's blessings, being thankful for what the gift they've sent, being so thankful for them being involved and engaged in his ministry for all these years. For 10 years, they've been communicating with him and been involved in what he's been doing. He says, I am thankful for you. I think of you often. I think of your gift often. I think of your partnership in the gospel often. Much like Mark read this morning about the Bells and how they're uh, so thankful for our ministry in their lives. They're one of our supportive missionaries. We're going to see a video in a little while, Michael Nelson, and how he's saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, church, for being involved in our ministry in Australia. Here's some things that you guys have been able to be a part of even though you did not know it. Writing. He prays for his churches back in the front. No, he can't be present with them. He's stuck in prison, and yet they are progressing. On Facebook, we still keep in touch with a lot of the teenagers that we were able to minister to back in South Korea. And it is so encouraging to look and see how their lives have turned out. Not, not every one of their lives has turned out awesome. Some of them are still struggling through some of the same things we worked with them on 20 years ago. 
25 years ago. But many of them have been growing in their faith and they're striving to walk in, in, in their faith and they're now getting involved in their churches and they're leading their kids to get involved in their churches, leading their kids to Christ. They're all getting involved in ministries together. It's encouraging to see the fruits of our ministry from 20, 25 years ago. And I look forward to 20, 25 years from now, looking back on this time in our church, seeing the fruit of the labors as we all partner together in the ministry and what God is wanting to do through us and seeing how it's going to flourish and grow in the future as well. We pray for one another. and our Your faces and your names come to my mind. This morning I'm thinking something may be serious, may be going on. As you leave here today, pray for the Lord because this, this migraine situation goes on in her life on a regular basis and it really is a hard, hard for her. As she, you see George and the boys here, and if the Lord's not here, let her know. I need to be praying for her. As, as names and faces come to our minds throughout the week, pray for one another. You don't know what's going on in their lives. We don't know what's going on in each other's lives every minute of every day. Even I as your pastor don't know. I don't have a word of knowledge from God to know exactly what even my daughters are doing at school, every day, every minute of every day. I've set up cameras in their rooms. They don't know that. I've set up cameras, so I'm watching. And imagine if people did watch. But you know who is watching? God. And you know who communicates to the rest of us about needs within the body? God. As you are, as you are living your life throughout the week, do the names and faces of one another come to mind? And do we pray for one another? It's like having that camera in there, but without knowing, because we don't need to know. God already knows. So Paul, as he's writing back, he said, I am so thankful for you for being involved in our ministry. Let me continue to pray for you. And in spite of the persecution going on there, you need to persist. But what specifically was Paul praying for? What specifically was he praying for for this church? Look in verses 9 through 11. He says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, what is pure, and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There's several things there, very specifically, that Paul prays about. He says, first of all, he prays that their love would abound and grow, that their discernment would be on display to the world at their understanding of what are the best practices for them and approve what is, in other words, what approving what is excellent. To remain pure and blameless in that culture, presenting the fruit of righteousness as a result of their relationship with Christ. Let's look at those just for a minute. Praying that their love would abound more and more. Would you not agree that we are to continue growing? as we, The more we learn to know who God is, our love for Him and our love for one another ought to grow, 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 grow. We don't stop. We don't stop right where we are. This morning in our, in our, in our young adult class, we were talking about Pete Rakowski, and he was 90-plus years old before he passed away, one of our old members. And he knew more about the Word of God than I did even as your pastor. He knew more about what it meant to live a faithful life than I did. He knew more about what it meant to live a separated life and, and a righteous, living a life full of righteousness. He knew how to control his tongue much better than I do. He knew how to think and control his thoughts much better than I do. 
I wanted to get around him and many of you as much as possible because you have life experiences that I don't have never experienced. You've been a believer longer than I have. We ought to continue growing, growing, growing throughout our whole life, becoming closer to Christ, more godly, more perfect, more like him. That their discernment of those things around them, their discernment will be on at their understanding of what are the best practices for me. Other, other verses, he's, other passages of Scripture, he says, all things are okay for believers, but not all things are, things are okay, but they're not all best for us to follow. Knowing what are the best practices for us to do. How should we live our lives in light of the gospel? How should we live our lives in light of the truth of the message of God's word? To remain pure and blameless in that culture, which is constantly pulling them, pulling them, pulling them away from the truths of Scripture, pulling them into impurity, pulling them into sin, striving to yank them away from the godly life they should be living to where it becomes normative, to where there's no difference between their life and the life of the world and the culture around them. In other words, presenting the fruit of righteousness to Christ, presenting their lives as fruit of righteousness so that as a result of their relationship with Christ, that is the foundation to which we live. That foundational relationship with Jesus Christ, that foundational relationship ought to change and transform everything about us. If we are not changed daily, weekly, monthly, as a result of of our relationship with Christ, there's something wrong. You're in sin or you're far from God. Because we cannot stay the same. We will abound and grow if we are living according to the word of God and following his testimony. So secondly, not only do we go through prayer and persecution, Paul says this, he says, we ought to be living according to God's priorities. If we're going to live as if God is in control, we need to live according to his priorities. Look with me in, in verse 12 through 18. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, being in jail, being in prison, has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Stop. See what's happening? Paul is saying, I'm going to live according to God's priorities. I'm going to live my life in such a way that God's desires are my desires. I'm going to live my my life in such a way so that I know that God is in control and live as if he's in control, even though I want to be in control. Isn't it our natural instinct to take control of our lives? Isn't it our natural inclination to wrest control and to try to twist things and and, and, and make decisions based on our knowledge and our life experiences rather than committing those decisions to Christ, committing them to God, letting Him step in and take control. For Paul, it's the same way. He's, he's, commending, he's commending to the church in Philippi. He says, we need to be living our lives in such a way that God's priorities become our priorities. Understand, he says, my imprisonment is only served to advance the gospel. Even though I'm in prison, I am bound here, I'm stuck here again, again. My imprisonment is only served to advance the gospel of Jesus. A couple years ago, we had Brother Yoon, 
the Chinese pastor came and spoke. And he told of his story of being put in prison and how God used him, and, and not, not just with the prisoners and the guards, but also used him to advance the message of the gospel as he's now gone out, was released eventually, and he's able to now go out to, because of his story, to proclaim the message of God's word that he would not have had that opportunity otherwise. Sometimes our circumstances cause us to get frustrated and doubt when really God has another outcome in store. Verse 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. What was Paul's focus? Was it his focus on his situation he was going through right there? Was his focus on his personal needs and his wants, his desires? I'm sure he would have rather not been in prison. He would rather not have been going through the struggles he was going through. He would rather have had everything going hunky-dory, be out there on the streets, living life, free as a bird. But yet he couldn't. Here he was in prison, and yet he looked at his situation and he saw it from a totally different angle. Even those who were out there preaching the gospel, trying to harm him, as he called it, preaching the gospel, pre- preaching God's word, trying to inflict some kind of emotional, physical, emotional or mental pain on him. He says, I rejoice that even through their bad motivations, I rejoice because the name of Christ is being preached and the Christ's name is getting out there. Would I rather that every preacher in America preach the correct gospel? Would I rather that Joel Osteen and others like him actually read God's word and learn what it is that God's word says and begin preaching correctly? Yes. Would I rather that everybody preach as I do? Maybe I need some areas I need to change as well. But would I rather that we all were of one mind and we all were exactly the same? Yes, of course I would rather that. I would rather that God put in every preacher's mind the exact thing. That his, the interpretation that we all gave was exactly the same. Ideally. But even though it's not, Christ's name is, being, is going out. The word of God is being proclaimed. People's hearts are being challenged and touched. People are very different from me in their methodology. Some people are very different in sometimes their theology. They're different in the way they raise their kids and the way they run their church and the way that they live their lives. Yet, we know those, some of those around us. And even in their differences, is going out. And in that, we can rejoice. Like Paul says, and I will rejoice. He does rejoice. See, God, Paul has a very gospel-centric view of the world. His goal and our goal ought to be to communicate to as many people as possible the message of God's word. And every opportunity, whether through word, action, deed, 
every opportunity we take, we get when God brings somebody across our path, we need to be taking opportunity and view them in the lens through the lens of the gospel. Understanding that everything that happens to us, that God is still in control. The frustrations around us, God is in control. The health concerns we may have, God is in control. The good things that happen to us, God is in control. He is in control. Paul understood that. He could have said, why me? He could have sat back and go, and just had a pity party and felt sorry for himself. Yet he understood God is in control. See, the result of saying God is in control is admitting I am a human finite being. You are human finite beings. We are ultimately not in control. As much as we want to be in control, we are not. I can only control turning this paper this morning. Ultimately, God is in control of every area of our lives. God is in control of our church. God is in control of your jobs. He's in control of our health. He's in control. When we come to understand that, it's actually very liberating. When we understand that we ultimately are not in control of our lives, it's very liberating. Why worry about tomorrow? Does God not see the sparrows of the field and the birds, the birds of the sparrows of the air and the birds of the field, flowers of the field rather? Does He not see those things and care for them? How much more does He not care for us? He cares for you and me. He is in control, and yet we, in our control, in our attempts at control, how do we respond? Typically, how do we respond to nasty people? We know that there are people around us who are not very nice. Do we ask that God strike them down? Sometimes. <laughs> How do we respond to the middles, the middles of the trial around us? Do we say, woe is me, Nothing, nobody else has ever experienced anything as bad as I have? How do we respond when we lose our job or our income? Do we desperately seek to fill that spot because we have to be able to get by? Or do we ask God to provide? Say, God, I know you're in control. I don't know how you're going to come through, but I know you will. How do we respond when our best friends desert us? Do we ask God to give them karma? God, do to them what they did to me. It's kind of like the mother's curse. Y'all know what the mother's curse is? Every mom says to their kids, I hope you have a kid just like you. In my case, I said, thank you, because I was perfect. Just kidding. <laughs> thank you, Marty, for bringing that to light. <laughs> How should we respond? Somebody nasty says something or does something to us, do we respond in kind? Or do we treat them with love that abounds and grows and grows? When somebody, when some situation in our lives is up and suddenly happens and we lose, or you, 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 you like college students are writing a paper and I'm going to get an A on this one, and he comes back, F. What? What happened to me? <laughs> Just suddenly catches you off guard. Was God not in control even then? Of course he was. We can find joy in the midst of these difficulties when God's priorities become ours. 
when we stop focusing on our priorities and the things that I want and I desire, and we say, God, what are your priorities? And let me join you in those priorities. God, where are you working? And let me join you in where you are working. God, who is it that you want me to minister? And let me go and join you in ministering to that person. Let me become a part of what's important to you. Instead of looking at what's important to me, God, I want to join you in what's important to you. You need your food, you need your drink, you need your games, you need what's important to you. As you get older, you get married, all of a sudden your spouse's needs become more important than your own needs. Then you have kids, and they demand, and your kids' needs become more important than your needs. And then when you have grandkids, grandparents, correct me if I'm wrong, all your kids go out the window, and the grandkids become all important, right? I'm fixing to find out in a few months. The grandkids, all those things become more important. Same way with God. My needs are ultimately not what's important. It's what God desires for me. And joining him in his ministry and how he wants us to be used. Because God's kingdom is the highest priority. Matthew 6.33 says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness to become like him. These things will be added to you. All your other desires. All, because you know what happens? is my de- God's desires become my desires. All those things that I wanted that I thought were so important in my life, all of a sudden they lose their levels of importance. And what God desires, I desire. Ultimately, everything that I want is found in him. And that is what Paul is saying. That when our priorities align with God's priorities, there is true peace and joy. We can have peace in the midst of tribulation. We can have joy in the midst of trials because no longer is it about my needs and my wants, but it's about what God wants for us. And how can we join him in that? And Paul goes on, he says, not only do we look for God's priorities, but we also need to trust God for the outcome of the different events. Look in verse 19 with me. It says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Being in prison is deliverance. As it is my eager expectation hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, and that means fruitful labor for me, Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He's taught, struggling between the two. Do I go, do I leave and go to heaven, or do I stay here? I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus, because of my coming to you again. He says, I don't want to be here in this world. I don't want to be here. For me, it is better to leave. But for you, it's better that I stay. I'm tossed up. I'm torn between the two. See, Paul understands that God's control is not expressed in terms of outcomes, or that God's control is expressed in terms of outcomes, not the events. Him being in jail was the event. Him being in jail was the event, and he could choose to just 
They were in jail. They could have been miserable, but they chose to worship. And the outcome was the jailer got saved and his whole family. The outcome. Understanding that God is, our events that we go through, God looks down the road. He sees what's going to happen. But yet we can get distracted by the events in our lives, can't we? We can just get distracted by the sickness and the sorrow and the suffering all around us. We get distracted by that which is going on right here and right now. And yet, understand this, that God shows us glory by bringing those outcomes greater than any sorrow, sickness, or suffering that we may endure. That God expresses His glory in and through us. God's desire and our desire ought to be to glorify His name no matter what. The chief end of man is what? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. If God's desire, His plan is to glorify His name, to lift Himself up, should we not join Him in that and find way within our circumstances to lift up His name and to find out, God, how are you going to glorify Your name because of what I'm going through, because of what my family's going through, because of what my neighbor's going through, because of what my church is going through? How are you going to glorify Your name? Jim Elliot, you know the story of Jim Elliot and his friends in Ecuador. The events of their lives led to great outcomes. We would, I think none of us would, all of us would kind of agree that them being killed was not a good thing. Their kids having to be raised without fathers was probably not a good thing, humanly speaking. Those wives having to live their lives without their husbands that they were partnered with in ministry was not a good thing, humanly speaking. And yet the outcome of that horrible event of them being killed by that tribe and the kids were able to go back and reach that whole tribe with the gospel of Christ. They remained gospel-centered. Now, I don't say that to say that they didn't mourn, that they weren't upset, that they weren't sad. Of course they were. But they kept a very long-term view and said, God, in spite of this that has taken place, how are you going to glorify your name? Those churches, and they're putting up pithy sayings of President Xi inside the churches. Forcing the pastors in those churches to preach different messages based on what the government wants them to preach. Yet in spite of that, in spite of the persecution, in spite of all that's happening there, the church is growing. I read a stat that said by 2030, 2035, they expect that the evangelical church in China will be the largest church in the world. The largest body of Christ in the world that they will surpass every other nation in the number of evangelical believers because of the persecution that they're going through. Because of this awful events, the outcome is that people are coming to faith in Christ. That they are finding true joy and peace and happiness at the foot of the cross, regardless of what the government tries to do. Church Father Tertullian said this, and you probably have heard this. He says, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. We don't even know what persecution is. We don't even know. We think the hardships we go through, that's persecution. Somebody giving me the stink eye at work, oh, that's persecution. We don't even know. 
See, Paul was able to look beyond his immediate events and find the glory of God in the circumstance and what he was going through. He was able to look beyond just what was in front of his feet and see the glory of God and pray through the glory of God and rejoice in the glory of God and what God was doing in the church. He saw the church of Philippi and rejoiced. He saw the fruit of his harvest, the fruit of his labors. Even in prison, he saw that there. And he reads, in fact, we read it a minute ago in verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He longed to be with Jesus. He longed for it. Not just because he wanted to leave this world. He desired the presence of Jesus. He says, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. If I leave this world behind, all the better. I get to be at the foot of Jesus and walk hand in hand with him. He kept a very long-term view. Lastly, he was telling the church, as, per, as suffering comes, as persecution comes, don't run from it. Receive it. Receive it as it comes. Because through that suffering, you will grow. In the final verses here, verses 27 through 30, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. When suffering comes, when persecution comes, when hardship comes on you, when trials come on your life, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their sake of Christ. You should not only believe in him, but you should suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. Did you hear that? Did you hear what he's saying there? When persecution for your faith comes, embrace it. Be thankful. Don't run. I mean, obviously, we're not going to go and try to please persecute me, persecute me, persecute me. I want to suffer for the cause of Christ. But when it comes, and it will, if we are living for Christ and we're living up, we're standing up for our faith, you will undergo persecution. You will have this stink eye leveled at you. People will look at you wrong and say things about you behind your back. Sometimes the suffering that we try to run from God uses in our lives is granted by God to grow the community of faith. The suffering that we endure, the trials we go through, God uses in us to grow us, to make us more like Him. And we, within the community of faith, we grow together. When one, when one hurts, we all hurt. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. When one is sick, we're all sick. We rejoice and we go through these things together as the community of faith. See, churches grow stronger spiritually and bond together during these hard times of trouble. Back in, in, in 1907, there was a in, in, South, in Korea, the country of Korea, there was a revival that took place. The church in Korea rose up. It became known as the Jerusalem of the East. There were evangelists, there were disciples, there were, the church was growing at exponential rates. There were people getting saved left and right, and they were growing in their faith. And then, 1911, Japan came in and invaded the country. And from 1911 to 1945, they pressed down the church 
They persecuted the church. They persecuted the Korean people. From 1911 to 1945 to the end of World War II. But what came out of that? You look at the church in Korea now, it's grown through leaps and bounds. In fact, 12 of the largest 25 churches in the world are located in South Korea. 12 of the largest compared to some of the ones that are in South Korea. The Chinese church right now is growing through the persecution in spite of their churches being torn down, electricity turned off, pastors arrested, and thugs coming into their homes. It is growing through leaps and bounds. It is growing. Church grows together spiritually. Philippians 1.29 there, he says this. He says, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but suffer for his sake. That you there at the very beginning, that is plural. You as the church, you as the body of Christ, you will suffer together. You will endure together. You will find strength together. You will pull through this together. The church used the event of Paul's imprisonment as an opportunity to express their love and support of him. He said, our brother Paul's in jail. What can we do? Let's send him some funds and support them. Our friend Rick and friend Schusler in, in the Bahamas, their, their ministries are suffering right now. They're, they have opportunities right now. What can we as the body of Christ do? Let's take up an offering and send them some money toward the end of this month so we might be involved in the ministries that are going on there. The people there, the church there, we can be involved. See, demonstrating community is everyone's responsibility. Becoming a part of the community of Christ is everyone's responsibility. Becoming actively involved is everyone's responsibility. Working together for the cause of Christ. Individually and as a community, we demonstrate that God is in control when we live as if God is in control. We may know it cognitively, but live it. Live it. Live it. Let it move from your head to your heart and live it. Understand it. Know it. That God is in control. See, as we do that, our actions in our lives, our actions become the message that the world sees. Our actions become the message that the world sees. When we went into North Korea, we could not, I couldn't take the word, the word of God. I couldn't stand there and share God's word with somebody. But they saw the word of God lived out in our lives every single day. They saw the love that we had for them in spite of the opposition our governments had. They saw the action of our lives, and that became the message. And our very lives became the good news. Our very lives became the good news as we demonstrated to the whole world that we confidently believe that God is in control. You're afraid to share your faith? It's okay. You're afraid to get out there and proclaim the message? It's okay. Live as if God is in control. And you'll have people coming up to you and saying, what is different? How can I have what you got? How can you have peace in the struggle? How can you have joy in the trial? How can you go through what you're going through and still speak and talk about God the way you do? Hasn't he abandoned you? No. See, this event I'm going through, I'm looking for the outcome to see what God's going to do on the other end. This thing I'm going through right now, I'm thinking through, thinking, looking at it with 
gospel-centered eyes, with, with rose-colored glasses that, that God has given to me so that I might look on the other end and see what it is that God's going to do as a result of my life and my testimony in the world. How is it that God wants to use you?